Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Yep, uh, that is uh, 6761. The show is good because some days I can't stand a word you say, and some days I agree with every word you say. Happy Friday. I think 6761, on the, on the days that you can't stand a word you say, I think he's talking about you, Blankers. And then the days Shocking he agrees with every word I, you say, I think he's I think he's referencing me. I think it's more of his ineptability or inability to use the app or other means when the signal isn't clear enough. So that's why it gets garbled. How did you know that was that guy? But I think that it's also the fact that when he does and he's able to tune it in, that he hears just unbelievably logical, solid takes and honesty. For me. And no, and then you can chime in and you get to be Skip Bayless and you want to mix it up. Skip Bayless? What do I do with Skip Bayless? That's a ridiculous thing to say. I just like to get people to come at you. I just have takes that are, that are strong. It's just smokingly red hot. I mean, I take a stand if that's what you're trying to say. Well, I think I do, too. Uh, did last night change your mind on who will be the most productive receiver for the Houston Texans? I don't think we've seen enough. I mean, we still, I, I still need to know. <laughs> I thought know. you had strong takes. <laughs> and then you say, you know, what? Okay, so I, I don't think I've seen enough to pass a judgment on... The rest of the regular season, again, just like we talked about with C.J. Stroud, this is week one of the preseason, and Tank Dell was very impressive. Now, I, I want to see him progress and be able to maintain that or be able to progress from there to where when we get to a game that matters against Baltimore, and I want to see more of Robert Woods and and see if he's got anything left in the tank, as we mentioned, or Nico Collins, so I can make a fair judgment on the entire receiving group. I thought as much as everybody has kind of poo-pooed on the talent level of their entire receiving group, at least what I saw of the guys that played last night, there's some young players that I think you can have hope for that are going to be developed into players for this team for a while. Uh, it was a kid from Iowa State, the bigger, the other receiver. Hutchinson. Would take, yeah, Hutchinson. Hutchinson looked pretty good to me. I mean, that's someone they could possibly develop. Am I counting on him for this year? No. I'm just really interested in what Robert Woods still has left. I don't know, and I don't know what his role is based on what abilities he, he still has. I think Nico Collins, this is a make or break for him. I hope he can take a step up. But, I mean, there's a lot more to it than high-pointing footballs and making spectacular practice catches. Yeah, I'm not sure you gave a stance there. I don't care. <laughs> you, I you, gave an opinion. I don't always yeah, have. But this. you said you had heart, You had strong takes. doesn't mean on every single you one. You didn't. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. I do agree with you that it's difficult to – like, I want – what does the depth chart look when Robert Woods and Noah Brown play? They, yeah. they didn't play a snap yesterday. If Noah Brown, Robert Woods, if you started the regular season on Sunday, how many snaps are those guys getting versus how many snaps is Tank Dell getting? With the three young players, it did change my mind. Like, at the start of the season – like, I draft a lot of fantasy football, best ball teams. We all know that. I have hundreds. You look at like their ADP right now. John Mechie's getting drafted very, very high. Tank Dell is usually not getting drafted. Not, not. I mean, John Mechie's not getting drafted very, very high, but he's getting drafted. He's the second highest drafted receiver from the Houston Texans. It goes Nico Collins. It goes John Mechie. It goes Robert Woods, and then it goes Tank Dell. After watching yesterday, I would flip John Mechie and Tank Dell in terms of like fantasy production. So from the young players, I think it's clear that Tank Dell is going to be more productive than John Mechie. It looks like Mechie probably has a longer way to go than we all thought, which 
We should have known that. We should have had the foresight to realize it's going to take Mechie a while to get his sea legs back after everything that he's been through with leukemia, and favorite player on the team aside from Tank Dell, and then also coming off a torn ACL his final year in college, late in the season. So he's he's overcoming a lot, and I think he has a ways to go. Tank Dell was one of the best football receivers in all of college football last year, and he is picking up right where he left off. Like He's hitting the ground running, whereas Mechie hasn't played football in a really long time. So I think it's easy to say that Tank Dell, and I would say this, that Tank Dell is going to be the best at that core. Now, you throw in Noah Brown into the equation. I don't think Noah Brown's really going to be sought after really as a high-target, high-volume, catch-a-lot-of-passes kind of guy. So I feel confident saying Tank Dell's going to have a better year than Noah Brown. So now the conversation is Tank versus Nico, Tank versus Robert Woods. You know, Nico's going to be an outside guy, like maybe try to get it to him going over the top of the defense. He's your big receiver. I think Tank will have more catches than Nico. I'll say you'll have more yards than Nico, but Nico's going to have more touchdowns. And then Robert Woods is is a wild card yeah. to me. I could see Robert Woods leading the team in receptions. I could see Robert Woods being the fifth-string wide receiver that is the grown-up in a young wide receiver room, kind of like Cecil Shorts, right when they cut him. So I don't know how they necessarily view Robert Woods. I think by the second half of the year, Tank Dell and Nico Collins are your best two receivers, but I think Robert Woods is going to eat into Tank Dell's production first half of the year. But I'll call it. I think Tang Dell will lead the Texans in receptions this year. As a receiver. At, yeah. Not, but I'm saying you don't put Dalton Schultz in the game. No, receiver only. Right. Okay. That's, receiver that's only. Because to me, I think there's a chance that Robert Woods either leads this team in receiving or Robert Woods is cut by midseason or traded or you move on from Robert Woods. I think the bigger question, which really was kind of surprising to me, and again, I, I under, I'm going to go back to what I keep saying, which is just week one of the preseason. But based on usage, performance, and Mechie versus... Tank Dell, going into that game, I thought Mechie was going to be targeted more. I thought Mechie was going to be more prevalent in what he did and as part of the offense. And I came away very, very wide-eyed going, man, evidently Tank Dell has impressed early and Mechie's got some work, you know, he's got some work to do and he's got to, you know, get more reps. That surprised me because if I, based on what you guys have said and what, you know, fantasy football drafts and otherwise, I look at this and I thought, hey, Mechie's a guy that, now that he's healthy, I'm expecting to be a big part of this offense. And I would say that I would prioritize him more than Tank Dell. And that, obviously, after one week, looks like it's the exact opposite. I, I, had, go ahead. I, I would say I, I, I kind of side a little bit with Jeremy here, like where we're at right now, just that Tank Dell, he just he looked so natural. Like, it looked like nothing had changed since college. That even though, like, there is an up-and-level of competition, even in the preseason for him from the conference he's coming from, the competition he's playing last year. And he got so open all the time, that one slant over the middle where he just broke free, he's just, he just finds a way. And it kind of, I, I think it's going to translate pretty consistently. That he's going to be an immediate guy that is going to get the ball a lot. Is he ever going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL? No, but can he be what Welker was, what Edelman was, those guys for Tom Brady, mm-hmm. that security blanket, I think he can, and probably pretty quickly. See, I don't know how quickly, but I think the one thing that I saw like you did is, and I'm not by any means saying that he's Tyreek Hill, but I did see where not only does he have the break breakaway and the, the, the quick twitch, but he has defenses respecting the fact that once he catches the football, if there's any space at all, they got to be really, really concerned that he could blow their doors off and he could get by them in a heartbeat. And that's something that is very, very exciting to think about him being a part of the Texans for the long haul, doing those kind of things. Because he's definitely quicker and faster uh, than, than the other guys you mentioned, the slot receivers, Edelman and otherwise. 
But, man, he could be an unbelievable weapon for this team if he just continues to do those kind of things alone. No one's going to create separation on this roster better than Tank Dell. Tank Dell is going to get open better than Robert Woods. Yeah, Robert Woods has the experience. He's going to get open better than Noah Brown. Yes, Noah Brown's better at pass blocking. Uh, Nico Collins is bigger, but no one's going to have Mechie. more space. No, I don't think so. I think it's clear that that he's not. Well, right now, but is Mechie, with all the things he's overcome, is there another level he can still get to? Should he should absolutely should. He was a second round receiver. Right. Tank Dell was also a second round receiver. Like I was looking at the um, I was looking at the draft yesterday or two days ago. Just looking at skill position players and where they went. And you you take a look at like what people are saying around the NFL with some of these rookies and how much of a factor they're going to be in their rookie season, and it's kind of amazing. Tank Dell got taken ahead of a lot of skill position players that people are thinking are going to be better in their rookie year than Tank Dell is going to be for the Houston Texans. Tank was taken with a with, or very early in the third round. He was drafted ahead of Keandre Miller, the running back from TCU that's over the Saints. People think he has a chance to be really good as a rookie. He was taken ahead of Jalen Hyatt, who many people are saying that he could be like a Will Fuller for the Giants. He was taken ahead of Cedric Tillman. He was taken ahead of Tajay Spears, who went to Tennessee. He was taken ahead of A-Chain from A&M that went to Miami. We forget how high Tank Dell was selected in this draft. And some people say, well, Nick Casario was reaching a little bit. I don't think anybody's telling you that after yesterday's game. I think Tank has the most talent from a get-open standpoint than anybody else by far on this roster. I would agree that Mechie's second, but Mechie, I think, has a long ways to go. You said that you had like kind of a, your, your eyes-wide-open moment after that game yesterday, Tank versus Mechie. Mm-hmm. My eyes-wide-open moment, and, and Tank's been better than Mechie in camp, but my eyes-wide-open moment was the depth chart. Like it, it, it stunned me that Tang Dell was listed as a wide receiver two and John Mechie was listed as a wide receiver three. I did not expect that. So that was my like my eye popping moment. And then yesterday's game confirmed all of it. It confirmed See, all reason, of it, and I totally understand why. The reason that I wasn't going to buy into the depth charge, we 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 talked about it. The fact that coaches use it as motivation for a lot of different reasons, they tinker with it because they're not worried about it, and they're not worried about telling you what they think or. Or giving up, especially in the preseason, it'll make it could be a little different story in the regular season. But for the most part, I know it could be used as a motivational tool as well. So I wasn't really. It was yeah, I saw it and I thought, well, that's surprising. But there could be reasons why. But then after the game last night, I was like, well, damn, Tank Dell isn't raw and isn't doesn't need a whole lot of work. Tank Dell looks like. He can step on the field right now for just about any team in this league and, and have an impact. Yeah, it, it changed my mind uh, on who I think is going to be the most productive receiver for the Texans. 713-780-3776. Let's go out to the HRP listener line. A different Keith. Uh, Keith, you're in the hive with the Killer Bees. What's up? Hello? Hey, Hello. Hey, Keith. Yeah, I was commenting on the uh, the question you was talking about earlier about if, if you like to pin on it. I'm just trying to figure out how can y'all judge somebody off of two two series. The key got to learn the game. He's a rookie. You you can't expect him. I expected him to throw more more interceptions than that. We are too, Keith. We are too, Keith. Keith, we are as well. We are as well. We think C.J. Stroud's going to be good. We think C.J. Stroud's going to be a good NFL quarterback. Keith, if you had to put your life on the line for one of the Texans' three quarterbacks, everything else is the same right now today, which of the three are you taking? Today. Yeah, today, right now. Yeah, after 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 watching what he did, because uh-huh. when he said he didn't see that safety, see, he thought he could make that play because he still was thinking they playing like they was playing in college. In college, he'd have made that play. He'd have made that throw. I agree. But these are grown men. This ain't no this ain't no seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds safety that's back there. 
That's a grown man. Okay, you Keith, but answer the question. Answer the question. Yes, then. I would. I would take. I would take him because okay. he's learned today. After playing last night, today, yes. All right. Appreciate the appreciate All right, the call, Keith. Keith. Well, well, no. What I mean, we'll see. We'll see Saturday. I mean, they take on the Dolphins on Saturday. Well, they have the inter-squad well, practice. Life's on the line. His life's on the line. Now, I, I think it is fair to say that none of these are great options. Um, and, and I would also say that C.J. Stroud has the highest potential. And Keith is believing that C.J. Stroud's going to learn from the mistakes, which Stroud has shown in camp early that he does learn from his mistakes. So I think that's a fair rationale with Keith. I think that's fair. Uh, 713-780-3776. Back out to the HRMP listener line. Wood, you're in the hive with the Killer Bees. What's up, Wood? Fellas, how y'all doing now? I'm going to put it to you like this. The defense is going to be magnificent this year. Them balls are ready to roll. The running backs, hey, they're going to put on a show. We got a good running game. We're going to be able to go out there and run with anyone. Now, when it comes to the offense, our biggest problem, because Tank Dale is ready, our biggest problem is going to be CJ is not seeing the game the way he should. The game is moving too fast for him. We need to let him sit and watch for the first few games behind Chase and let Chase Keenan run this offense. Because Chase can run this offense, and we can get off running. Now, the one game we will lose, we're going to get our bus kicked in, is Baltimore. But after that, we can go 10-7 and seven with the division we have, the teams we're playing. Tampa Bay don't scare me. New Orleans don't scare me. Uh, Carolina, uh, 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 the Cardinals, them teams, we're going to walk through those teams. Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson, they don't have nothing for us. This defense is going to wreak havoc throughout the NFL. They're going to be a top-five defense. We are ready to play football. We're ready to win right now. If this coaching staff can do the right thing and say, let's go with the best quarterback who can help us win. Because right now, CJ is our future, but he's not ready to win. Who, 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 is, your, who is our best quarterback, Wood? Who, then if it's not CJ. Hey, uh, it, 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 it's it's uh, uh, the boy from U of H. Uh, Keenum. Chase Keenum. Chase yeah, Keenum. Okay. I love, I've always loved Chase Keenum. Appreciate the call, Wood. Now those are strong takes. Those are strong takes. He said they were going to go ten and seven, and they're going to have a top, top five, five defense. defense. In the, that's a strong Let's take. Go. That's top, like that's a that was a great promo. That was a wrestling promo from Wood. That was fantastic. We're going to run right over those boys. Going to have a top five defense the wood, in the Jeremy. NFL. Look, I, I'm not going to give the Texans top five defense. I'm not going to give them a ten and seven record. But Wood's on to something. That's how the Texans are going to have to win football games. They're going to have to be really good defensively. They're going to have to run the football well, clock control, ball control, time of possession, all those things. And then you you kind of ease C.J. Stroud as the season progresses with more and more responsibility, asking him to but do I more. I don't think he's going to learn by watching on the sidelines. No, I don't, either, I don't agree with that. I, I don't want him on the sidelines. Yeah, so that's, that's part of the, 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 the first thing that when I was listening to him, that stuck out to me is he's never going to get better and learn unless he's getting real game speed in real games against real competition where they're trying to rip your head off and understand the speed of the game because that's what he needs, and that's how he's going to understand how to make the right reads and do the things that everybody's expecting that he will learn to do and then move forward from there to be a better quarterback. So I have to see him on the field. 10-7 and seven is, I think, a huge stretch. Top five defense, a huge stretch. I understand the fact that you don't want him to get crushed while he's learning, but I don't think there's any better way to learn than when he's playing, you know, at the top level of this league against the best competition. Appreciate the call, Wood. Anytime you want to call, please call back. That was fantastic. Uh, Jose Altuve's been on fire. He's offensively as good now as he ever was. It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.
Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend, Doc Linville. Doc Linville, the best in the business, in my opinion, at the Neograph Procedure. The Neograph Procedure is a procedure that gets you your hair back. If you have pattern baldness, you're thinning, or you just don't have any more hair uh, on top of your head, your hairline, wherever the case may be, Doc Linville can help because the Neograph Procedure is a game changer. It takes hair from where you're never going to lose it. Genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. No matter how bald you get on top, or how bad, how bad your hairline gets in front. The fact is, when you look at it, guys are still shaving the sides and the back, no matter how shiny they are on top. And it's because of what I just said. It always is going to be there. So Doc takes some of that, puts it where you need it most, and repurposes it, whether you need it up on top because of the fact you got a baboon's butt showing on the top of your dome piece, or your forehead has become an eight head. He can fix it. You can get better, uh, uh, absolute better coverage. And in the process, more self-confidence and a better overall look on a daily basis. Check it out today because as an ESPN 97.5 listener, you get a free consultation with Doc and his staff. It normally costs 150 bucks. You get it for absolutely free with no obligation, nothing out of pocket, nothing to commit to. Just go to 975hair.com. Set up the appointment. Go in and meet with them. Ask them questions. Get answers. The one that got me, 95 to 99% of all the follicles that are going to be moved are going to stay, grow, get longer, stronger, and be with you for the long haul. That changed everything for me. I signed up. I did the procedure. It was literally painless. The recovery was quick. I kept seeing the follicles there, and they started to grow. And now, over a year later, I couldn't be happier with the procedure. You could be next in line to do the very same thing. Check it out today, 975hair.com. Go see my friend, Doc Linville. Razor Blunt Commentary, delivered with a special purpose. What's happening to my special purpose? It's the Killer Bees, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Did you see the uh, the game that Jose Altuve had yesterday? Yeah. He went four for five with a dong. Almost had a double dong. Hit it off the big wall in deep left center field in Baltimore. He was three for five the day before. If you've not noticed, because Jose Altuve hasn't played a ton of games, 45 games this year, he's had four different injuries. He has just over 200 plate appearances this year. Jose Altuve's hitting 305. Jose Altuve has a 396 on base percentage. Jose, Jose Altuve has a, four, a 534 slugging. Jose Altuve has a 931 OPS. Last year it was 921. This year it's 931. Now his OPS plus is a little bit down versus last year because offensive numbers are a little bit up. In baseball, we, we, I, I, I said that Jose Altuve a couple of years ago was past his prime. I'm not going to back off of that because Jose Altuve in his prime was a better defender. He was a better base runner. Like in his prime, he, he was had an arm, right? Over 50 bases. He sold 56 bases back in his heyday. Um, so, but offensively as an offensive weapon and he had an arm and he was a better defender, but as an offensive weapon only, if we're taking away the base running, we're taking away the glove. Jose Altuve is still at his offensive peak. And OPS plus is a number that I like to use because it shows you where the player is relative to the average Major League Baseball player. And it also takes other things into consideration. Like it takes all of baseball's offense that year. Like if numbers were high this year versus last year, well, the OPS plus corrects it. It corrects it for a player. Jose Altuve's OPS plus right now is 155. Last year it was 160, which tied his career high that he set in his MVP year in 2017 when he had an OPS plus of 160. Jose Altuve at the age of 33 with four different injuries is still as good of an offensive weapon that he has ever been. Now, it's a little different than he used to do it, but from an offensive weapon point of view, Jose Altuve is still great. I think it's also more credit to him that as he's gotten a little older, 
and things have changed a little bit for him, he's adjusted along the way. He's been able to adapt. He became more of a, a power-hitting second baseman. He got more pop in his game, but he still, his average didn't suffer as much as some people might have thought. The fact that he could still hover around 300 or get to 300 on the last day of the regular season a year ago, but still have the bombs and be and move to the leadoff hitter position and and, and actually have more pop, but still be an effective leadoff hitter. The guy's unbelievable, and the fact that you know you got him at this stage in his career on this team, and you're not worried about his replacement yet, and the fact that he keeps doing what he's doing, it's just amazing. The guy didn't even go to to Sugarland and rehab the the way Jordan did, and he comes right back into the lineup, and in no time at all, we're talking about him hitting the baseball and being the same kind of player that we've grown to love and appreciate. That's what's fantastic about him and how he fits into this team. You literally got two all-world players back at the deadline with the injuries, and there's no reason to believe that as long as they can avoid any further injuries, this team, like I said, could be one of the most potent offenses in all of baseball. Todd, the show, he points out a number that I didn't realize. He knows baseball. He's on pace for 40 stolen bases this year if he played 162. Now, no one plays 162 anymore, but it does show you that Altuve has the stolen base in his game this year. Now, I would argue that 40 stolen bases in 23 – is not the same as 56 stolen bases in 2014 because of the bigger bags, yep. because of the disengagement rules. But nonetheless, he he is he has brought stolen bases back to his game. He has 11 this year in 45 games. Last year, he had 18 and 141. In the previous three years combined, he had 13 between 19, COVID year 20, and then in 21. But Altuve's, now he has done it differently than like, what I would still consider the peak of his career when he won the MVP in 2017 because then he was hitting for a much higher average. He hit 346 in his MVP year after hitting 338. He he used to be a guy who was like he was almost Luis Arise with a little bit more power and speed and defense. He would hit for a very high average. He would hit 20 to 25 home runs. He would steal some bases. Now he's turned into a hitter that's actually more patient than he was back then. He's going to draw more walks now than he did back then, which is something that was I wouldn't call it a you know a flaw of his game because he hit so well it didn't matter, but he used to swing at everything, would never draw walks. He draws way more walks now than he did in his mid-20s. He also hits more home runs now than he did in his mid-20s. Last year, hit 28. Two years ago, hit 31. If he was playing you know at a normal pace this year, he'd be flirting with 30 as well. So Altuve, as an offensive weapon, is still as good as he was in his peak, his prime, when he was winning the MVP. He's just kind of transformed his game. And look, sometimes you just have to give a play his flowers whenever he's riding a hot hand. But Jose Altuve has been riding this hot hand his entire career. He's transformed his game. He's simply amazing. Yeah, the big thing to me is just how he's transformed. I never thought that a guy, especially that small, could have the pop and the consistent power that he's had. And like like we both said, when you've gone from a guy that was really average-driven in terms of hitting well over 300 to a guy that can still hover at and hit around 300 but have so much more pop and so much more ability to drive in runs and be like a destructive force, not just a base hitter, uh, is amazing. He's never going to be a great base runner, but the fact that he can now steal more bases too is just an added bonus. But, yeah, I mean, give the guy all the flowers in the world, in my opinion. I mean, dude is a stud. He also hits tanks. Like, remember Biggio kind of transformed who he was whenever he went to Minute Maid Park? He became super pool happy, would live in the Crawford boxes, and he'd run into 20, 25 home runs mm-hmm. a year. But he's kind of just putting them in the left field, putting them in the Crawford block uh, boxes. Jose Altuve's hitting the ball over the center field wall at 415 feet. Like Altuve's got tank in his in his offensive repertoire. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. They the said way watch that him take batting practice sometimes to, to to kind of solidify that point. They said watch him take batting practice sometimes, 
and, and the people that watch him and just get into the batting cages and see his size too, and then just see where the ball ends up when he's driving it out of the ballpark. It, it's amazing the kind of one. It's 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 the strength that he has in such a small frame, but you have to factor in his his swing speed, the, the the able to barrel up baseballs with the swing speed and the power to take it as far as he takes it when he hits a home run. I mean, it, it literally, and I've done a few events with him, stood next to him. It When you stand next to him, there's two things you realize. He really is very short and very small of stature, but you realize he's pretty jacked up for he a is. little guy. Yeah. And man, oh man, does he put a lot on that baseball. Yeah, he's uh, sometimes you just have to stop and admire a living legend, and Jose Altuve is that. Uh, Kevin Brown, who is the Baltimore Orioles television announcer, he just tweeted for the first time since his suspension. Oh. Says, O's fans, I'm a storyteller and never want to be part of the story. The most compelling story in baseball right now is the story of the league-leading Baltimore Orioles, the best, most exciting young team in the American League. You think How many a little, times did you think Orioles PR there? read that? You, I don't know. Do you think there's some snark there? Is he being a little over the top? I don't, I think, I don't either. I, I don't think either. this was the Orioles organization having a meeting with him and them, <sighs> them co-writing, co-authoring a response. I don't know. I mean, I've been through some of these where – the organization basically does exactly that. You know, we powwow, we have a, we have, and then we kind of have a calculated response that if you were just having a beer with the guy, yeah. it would be totally different. Yeah, maybe you're right. Todd, the show says, can't believe the Orioles PR made him a clean up their mess. It's a good point. All right, 713-780-3776. Will a bits coming up next. See what the will has in store for us. Let's see what Joe George has in store for us. It's Mega killer producer. Beast. That's right, the mega producer. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. How about some mega contests where you can win some mega bucks? Well, the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor are back. $14 million in guaranteed prizes between the two contests, and there's no rake. Circa's not making a dime off of this. The biggest football contest in Vegas back for their fifth year only at Circa Sports. Head to Circa, enter in Vegas, and the beauty of this thing, you can play from anywhere. You can play from Houston. You can play from your couch in Houston. You can play from your work when you don't want to work wherever because you can play anywhere once you enter in Vegas. The two contests. First one, the Circa Million Football Contest, $6 million in prizes, quarterly payouts. If you have a hot quarter, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, you can get paid that way. 100% payback again, which means no rake. You can't get that anywhere else. The top prize, $1 million guaranteed, and all you have to do is pick five teams against the spread every week, and the winner of this contest takes home a top prize of $1 million. How about the Circus Survivor? That's the other contest going on now. We've all played Survivor Pools. We've won Survivor Pools. The Circus Survivors, they had their biggest prize pool yet, $8 million. It's simple. Pick a winner, straight up, no spread, win big, be the lone survivor, and a guaranteed $8 million is yours. Bigger money than ever before. Play, to, play today for your share of $14 million in guaranteed prizes. Contests are open now. You don't want to miss out. Enter in Vegas, play from anywhere. Visit CircusSports.com for more details. It's the Wheel of Bits on the Killer Bees. Kittles and bits, kittles and bits. I'm going to get me some kittles and bits. Who knows the bits the bees will begrudgingly bite? Well, let's find out. What? Here's Joel and Jeremy. And Joe. <laughs> I don't have a single clue. I said, what if? He, that did not sound like two words. There's two words. <sighs> I don't think so. I think we might have to retire the robot. Play it again. Let him hear it. No, I don't think okay. that was two words. 
It's like uh, it's like Bob Ford whenever he used to announce Carlos Lee to the box. He would say Carlos Lee, and it sounded like his name was Carlos Lee, not Carlos Lee. All right, what's the Will got in store for us? All right, so we're gonna do what if the first time we did this, we did what if Michael Vick would have been available for the Houston Texans at oh, number one yeah. when they did expansion. So typically these are like wherever my brain wants to take us. And this one <laughs> is going to be thanks to Kyle Shanahan. So Kyle Shanahan said yesterday in an interview or meeting with the media that if the 49ers would have gone to the Super Bowl, that Phillip Rivers was ready to be their quarterback. Because they obviously they lost three quarterbacks in that game. It was a total disaster. So if the 49ers would have won that game, Phillip Rivers would have started in the Super Bowl last year. That's amazing. How do you think that got that played out? If it would have happened. If he played? If, so they would have played the... Chiefs. Played the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So Phillip Rivers... Now, Jimmy Garoppolo said that he would have been back for that game. Oh. He did say that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but apparently yep. Phillip Rivers would have been the choice. Apparently Kyle Shanahan did not agree <laughs> yeah. with Jimmy G. Uh, how do I think that plays out? I, I think the I think the Chiefs win. Yep. <laughs> I think the Chiefs win the football but game. But, like, is it competitive? Is it, it would have been more competitive than whatever they were yeah. trying to do. Yeah, well, obviously there, I agree with you, but I think that I don't care what Rivers had done in his career. I think the fact that he hadn't played and then suddenly he's going to start the Super Bowl and you're going to need him to be better than just average, I, I think I think the Chiefs pound them. I, I think they win by two touchdowns. Yeah, I think the contingency plan would have been better with Rivers than not having a quarterback, sure. per se. Now, I think Jimmy Garoppolo coming off injury would have been better than Rivers, I think they would have, quite honestly. I think they would have worked them both out for the week plus. Well, they didn't have, They had no quarterbacks, so maybe Garoppolo starts that, and Rivers is your backup. But, but I'm also saying, since you, like, you astutely pointed out, like the fact that Garoppolo said he would have been back for that game, bring Rivers in, Garoppolo comes to practice, they, you got that week in between. You let them work out. You let them throw. You let them practice. You, you start seeing what you see. I think Garoppolo ends up starting that game instead of Philip Rivers. I don't know if Philip Rivers has two weeks to prepare for a Super Bowl. That's the thing. Is there would have been two weeks to prepare? Like, like he could have been ready. He could have been ready. But I'm saying you use that full week plus to work both guys out. Give them all for reps. sure. Well, I just I think Rivers, if you had him in that offense. Could have beat him out. It would have been the strangest Super Bowl storyline of well, all time. Of all I, time. The only thing I don't understand. It would understand. have been really interesting yeah. and intriguing. Must see TV. They signed Rivers off the street, has never played a snap with San Francisco, has been retired the entire year, and the guy's going to start the Super Bowl. It doesn't seem like that should be like even legal, the only to be thing honest. I, what I don't understand, though, is that when, when Trey Lance was out, when Jimmy got hurt and Brock Purdy went in, why didn't they call Phillip Rivers then? I know he was coaching high school football. But, like, Philip would have known, like, they were clearly the best team in the NFC with a good quarterback. I think they were better been, than Philly. I think there have probably been talks. Like, if there's an injury. I think I think Rivers, was as much two. as he loved coaching, I think in a heartbeat, Rivers is, it, I mean, because he doesn't have a Super Bowl. I think Rivers is, all no matter what the circumstance is with his high school team, Rivers, I believe, has taken that, that opportunity. But that's why I wonder why it didn't happen earlier what in the you, season. You mean whenever, like, during the regular season? Yeah, when Jimmy got hurt. During the regular season, I bet Brock you. Purdy. I think they still saw enough of Brock Purdy that they thought he could keep doing it. Yeah, I bet I just, you they did. I bet you they did call Rivers. And Rivers then. just must have said no at the I, time. I bet you they did call Rivers then because there were yeah. there were talks, and I think Rivers even said this. You'll have to you'll have to fact check me on this. 
But I believe that there were multiple teams calling on Phillip Rivers throughout the season. No, you're right. There were. So San Francisco probably was one of those multiple teams that were calling on Phillip Rivers during the season. But you're probably right, too, Blankers, that they saw something in Purdy. We're like, hey, Phillip, we want you, but you're going to back up Brock Purdy. And Rivers is like, well, I'm not coming out of retirement to be the backup for a young guy. Yeah. Is this something? Now, I, I guess Tom Brady has made this more complicated because he now owns part of the Raiders. So there's some question of if he can even play in the NFL anymore. Mm-hmm. But. Is this something we're going to see again now with Brady this year, where like people are going to be thinking that Brady's going to come out of retirement, you know, to his brains when they get scrambled? Is is Tom Brady going to be the call? Is there going to be a way to work around that? And and maybe Tom Brady's the Dolphins' quarterback in like week ten. I'll tell you this: I have seen Tom Brady being taken in best ball drafts, so there is belief from people that Tom Brady will play football this year. I think that the the clincher in all of this that 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 just disqualified from Tom Brady playing football in 2023 was ownership in the Raiders though the the moment that he took a stake of ownership in the Raiders was the was the day that I finally believed we will never see Tom Brady play football ever again it's like when magic was in management and ownership with the Lakers right like you have to sell that if you're going to if in order I would assume it's the same thing like yeah you have to sell that in order to be a player again, right? That, so Brady why, would have to sell out on the Raiders deal. That's why I wouldn't totally rule it out. Like it wouldn't shock. Like, would it shock you if Mark Davis had some kind of backdoor deal with Tom Brady? And it's like, hey, look, Tom, if you get a call and you really want to go play, I'll buy back that small percentage because it's very small. I think Mark Davis would like him to do that and play for the Raiders. Yeah. But if it's going to be playing for the Dolphins, I don't think he's going to be too supportive of that. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna be supportive for him to go play in Miami. Right. Or yeah, I don't I, I, I don't. And plus it's gotta it's gotta like that's a big sell. Like we've all sold things in our life. Blankers you're selling a house. Joe, you've done like tra- transactions as well. Yeah, I bought a car once. That stuff is difficult to do quickly. Especially ownership in a team. So if somebody calls Tom Brady on a Monday trying to get him to play like in two weeks, you got to sell ownership that quickly. That's why I, I think, think it's difficult. I, that's well, why the league approval thing door. is where it gets tricky too. But I think that Brady's got enough rich friends that he could say, "Hey, take my ownership here for the short term." I don't know, so man. I can play ball. But I don't know that he still. I don't think he, transaction he, fees, taxes, like that's 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 a lot of stuff for a temporary rent. He got out of, you know, I mean, he got out of his second team. All he needed to get out of, he got away from Belichick. He got to a new team. He got a Super Bowl. He had success. He's done everything that he's ever had to do in order to be considered the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't find there's the same kind of motivation or want to anymore for Tom Brady to where he needs to do this again. I, I agree with you. I, I think Brady's done. The, the, that's why I think the only exception is like I, I don't think it's a Tua injury or a quarterback injury in like week four. Like I think it's like the Miami Dolphins and Tua are in first place. They have they're ahead of the Bills. They are ahead of the Jets. Then Tua gets hurt with the uh he hurts he tears his ACL and it's like, oh I only have to play seven games plus the playoffs. We're in first place. Like that to me is the only way Tom I plays. think you got the team right. I think it would have to be a team loaded up as much as Miami is, aside from the quarterback position. And I think the fact that Miami's in New England's division, he loves taking it to Aaron Rodgers so that with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, he could actually be the guy as part of the team that prevents him from going too far in the playoffs. And then, of course, the Bills being the preeminent team in that division for the last couple of years. I think there's enough motivationally, and you got the the team right. I just don't think there's enough motivating Tom Brady to think, I want to do this again. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Now, speaking of quarterbacks who have ownership in teams, I think 
that Aaron Rodgers might have ownership with the Jets. Is that why he took so much less? I'm just calling that now. If you if ta- if at some point Aaron Rodgers has ownership in the New York Jets, remember I said this. Okay. Ma- remember Mike, I said this. Mike Florio, I heard him on Dan Patrick's oh, show. Florio said this. I want no part of it. He said that he thinks the reason why Aaron gave back the $35 million is because there is an under-the-table deal that when he retires, he's going to get a percentage of the Jets at a discount. Yeah. Florio said it. Now I don't want to be right. Sorry. I don't want to be right now. I don't like what Florio he's already a, says things. a team owner. With the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So he's already in ownership, but that's a little different. Right. I mean, I don't think you're wrong because to me, to watch his whole career and know how he's been about getting every single penny and all the exactly. Packer fans that kept saying, hey, Brady gave took less. Brady gave back. Brady did more. And he was just all about getting every... And Michael was like that in, with the Bulls a lot of the way too where he just... He didn't care what anybody else was doing. He wanted every single penny he could possibly get. To see Aaron Rodgers rework his deal with the Jets and just essentially walk away from, like, what wasn't it, $17 million or something like that? 35 35, total. 35 total. I'm like, "Mm, there's you might be on to something. I think he's. I think because I does. I was shocked that he walked away from that much money. I think he's got a little ownership in the Jets already. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Justin Verlander returns to Minute Maid tonight. What are the great returns back to a team in Houston history, in sports history? Like Steve Francis, JV returns to Minute Maid. What are he the great returns? The Center, by the it's way. the house that franchise built. Um, what are the great returns that we've seen in sports? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Speaking of uh, hoops, with Francis there a little bit, you need a goal from Pro Dunk. Basketball is right around the corner, whether you have a kid that plays uh, club law, AAU, middle school, high school, whatever. Pro Dunk is the goal you need. They make the highest quality basketball goals you'll find. They're unlike anything else you'll find in a big box store. Tempered glass backboard gives you a true fill off the backboard, off the rim. Breakaway rim, too, which is perfect for dunking, hanging, keeping you safe. Stainless steel hardware, and it's rust-proof, which you have to have in Houston. Height adjustable as well. Five feet, anywhere between five feet and ten feet. That breakaway rim Perfect, too. So you can lower it down, throw down some jams, raise it up, work on your shot. Their accessories are next level. LED light kits for night play. It's warm in Houston during the day. School's back in session. Some districts in the Houston area, you have work during the day. Only time you can play is at night. Well, these LED light kits allow for that. Backstop nets as well. Pull pad lettering and lots, lots more. You can order everything, including professional installation on line. Yes, the pros at ProDunk professionally install your goal at the perfect height, perfectly straight. You don't do a thing. Let the pros at ProDunk do all of the work for you. Give them a call at 281-351-9822 and visit ProDunk.com. That's ProDunk.com. The best, most informed sports talk noon to three. It's the Killer Bees. Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Brenham. Uh, the Astros play baseball tonight. They open a three-game series against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, Angels are going to throw Reed Detmers. Don't say it. Lefty. Don't say what? Normally you jinx it when you say they should get this one. They should get this one. 2-8 and eight record, 470-80 ERA. Justin Verlander pitches opposite of the lefty Reed Detmer, 6-6, six 3-11 six, ERA. And Justin Verlander pitching, and his song is back, the ace of spades by Motorhead. I mean, Stumpy's been reeling since we kicked his ass today, and so I was wondering if he was going to remember, but he did. So he hopefully did. there's no jinx. Well done. Well, you well kind of did it. 
I'm not shying away. I don't believe in jinxes. I would totally say there's a no-hitter going. Hard take. Good job. What? That's not a take. That's not believing in jinxes. Totally different. Um, Justin Verlander pitching at home for the first time. He's already pitched for the Astros once, of course, but it's his first time to start with the Astros since the Astros traded for him again. So it brings up the question, what are the great returns back to a team in Houston history, in sports history? The only two I could really think of, Steve Francis and the one you said, Carlos Beltran. I think Beltran's went better than Francis's. Now, Beltran didn't play defense by the end of the year, but they won the World Series that year. Francis was having trouble getting minutes off the bench. Yeah, no, I was trying to think about it, too, Um, in terms of Texans or Astros. Other than that, uh, didn't Blummer make two different? D'Amico Ryans. No, kind of different. But did did Blummer make two different appearances with the Astros? I believe he did. I believe he was Houston White Sox and then finished his career in Houston. But, I mean, Blummer was not, no no offense. No, I'm trying to think of. Justin Verlander or Carlos Beltran. I'm just thinking, like, Rockets, like, key role players or guys like that. I can't really. I don't really remember a great Houston one. I think think Beltran's probably the best, if we're being completely honest. Uh, Now, Joe George found. Some uh, a list of some baseball players. There, there's others too. Like there's other sports, but I was looking specifically at baseball. What do you think was the best athlete you found a return back to a team? I, I think for the story, it was Griffey. You know, Griffey going back to Seattle, and then Ichiro went back to Seattle as well at one point. So I think that those are the top two. I was I scrolled through the baseball one. I didn't look at the other sports. Griffey was Griffey was the one that stood out to me because the Ichiro's final season, like he spent one season there and it didn't go great, right? Yeah. Like I think he was coming off the bench, things like that. Griffey, I think, spent two years there, which his last season was atrocious as well. Wasn't that when he was falling asleep in the dugout? That's the thing with this list is that, and even all these guys, they're all so bad. Like Tom Glavin's on this list. His second stint with the Braves was thirteen games pitched with a five five four ERA. Hmm. Hopefully Verlander's better than that. See, Verlander could. Verlander has the chances of being the best player to go back to their team Ooh. of like prowess of like somebody who has a lot of notoriety. Because Ichiro Suzuki played 17 games in those final two years. Ken Griffey's final year in Seattle, he hit a buck 84 and played in 33 games. Now the year before that, he hit 19 homers, but he also hit 214. So like these guys go back late in their career, and it's kind of a like let's sell tickets. You're popular, but you're not going to be very good. Didn't. Roger have two stints with the Yankees. Didn't he go back the second time? He did, yeah. And, and he had some success, right? Yeah, he had quite a bit of success. Yeah. That's a good call from, from a New York perspective. That's whenever Susan Yeah, Waldman, I'm just saying when Joe was looking up just across sports, I think yeah. that was one. Yeah, because Susan yeah, Waldman was like, that's Rogers right. in George's box. That's right. Andy Petty went back to New York, too. Yeah, yeah, they weren't on this list. That surprises me. Yeah, those um, are those are, and those have probably been the better ones, like yeah. in terms of production, in terms of playing well. Because Roger Clemens had success. Pettit had success once they went back. Yeah, like Alfonso Soriata was on this list. For this list is, I think, I think this list is more big names. Than it is like players going back and having success. Like well, even, Clemens is a big. I mean, those guys are big names. But he's on the list. I'm saying. But I thought you're saying. If no, they're, I'm saying if they're of trying this to, list, I think oh. this list is only big names. It's not production. But you're right. They missed. You're right. That is a big name. So you're right. They they missed on Clemens. They missed on on Pettit. Maybe maybe this one's more about like where they started their career. Maybe versus where yeah. Because Griffey obviously started in Seattle. Ichiro obviously started in Seattle. Tom Glavin started in Atlanta. This says Alf- Alfonso Soriano, which he started in New York. So this is probably where they started their career. And I think it's also like they would say like Justin Verlander because he wouldn't apply. Like it'd be going back to Detroit for JV versus coming here. Eight it's four like, three. Go ahead. It's just like it's weird that he's coming back so quickly. It's just it's so hard to quantify what they've done. 
843 says, easily when the Astros traded to get Maldonado back. From go. the Cubs. There you have it. For yep. Tony Kemp. Maldonado. There you go. Sneaky good against lefties. Uh, they're facing a lefty today. I'm curious. I haven't, we haven't seen you. There's no lineup out yet. But we've not seen news on Jose Abreu. So I'm guessing Jose Abreu is not going to land on the injured list. I think we would have heard of that by now. Right. Personally, I think we would have heard of that by now. So I fully expect Abreu to be back in the lineup. We know that Maldonado is going to be catching Justin Verlander. Verlander is a fly ball pitcher, so I don't think we're going to see Jordan Alvarez play left field. I think he's going to DH. I am fully expecting Yiner Diaz to be on the bench tonight. Of yeah, course. I don't, I don't like it. Fully expecting I think it. you're probably right, but I don't like it. I I just think no matter I, – I, I just need him in the lineup every day. You put Yordi out in left field, I'm fine with it. I, I just – at this point in the season, I need them to ramp it up offensively with the best offensive line at lineup every single night, especially what they did to Verlander with his first start with the lineup they put behind him. But I'd like to see Yiner in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, at most I think everybody would. Everybody would. You know who else we might see in the lineup this weekend? John Singleton. Mike Trout's here. Oh. Yeah. Really. But he's yeah, been man. traveling, hadn't he? He's running the bases right now. Yeah, that's not the issue, though. I mean, he had a hammer surgery. He could yeah. have ran the day after like, surgery. Why is he here? He's ramping up. He's been traveling a little bit, hasn't he? He's been ramping up. I don't know. And, I don't know and, and you want to be with your medical staff from the team to keep your rehab going. Altuve did the same thing, and it took him quite a while, but he Brantley's, was on the road. Brantley's in every city. That's true, too. Brantley's in every Joe, city. Joe, come on, man. Just take the rest of the week off. Brantley, it's a bad take. Trout, Trout last played on July 3rd. It's August 11th. That's eight weeks. That's eight weeks or so. Remember, it's six to eight weeks. Exactly. Whenever, whenever, Here's the thing, though. When you have a hamate surgery... It's always the back end of the timeline. Every single Hammett surgery I've ever seen in my life, everybody always says six to eight weeks. If they make it back in six weeks, they're going to suck. If this is an eight-week injury. Tuve's was a broken thumb, but it wasn't a Hammett? No, it was thumb. Okay. Yeah, Hammett, and what's, what's weird about the Hammett is it's right in the palm of your hand. So it takes forever oh. for a hitter to adjust to holding the bat again. And kind of like when they wear the foamy thing on their thumb. Like that yeah. That right there takes such an impact on every swing when you make contact. It's it, That injury is never a six-week injury. And if a player hustles back to get back in six weeks, they're not going to be good for a month. Like that is an eight-week injury minimum. That's what we thought Jordan had last year, right? Yeah, we thought it was a hammock, yep. which was, yep. I mean, it couldn't be the case. Couldn't we be couldn't even figure out which hand. Yeah, Dusty, could Dusty. Couldn't. Yeah. Dusty couldn't figure it out. They're saying that the axe handle bats are good for the hammock. That's what that's what Springer said when he was one of the first. He got uh, was it Mookie or someone that did did it first, and then he got Mookie left a bat for him so he could try it, and then that's what they were saying that it was because it, it protected the hammock. That's so weird to me how that would protect the hammock. A lot of guys don't put it where it's supposed to be put either, so that your hand your wrist can slide off of it and don't hit the the edge of the knob, and the, each guy grabs it grabs the bottom of the bat differently i can't i also can't understand how some of the guys wrap the bottom part of their palm mm-hmm. under the the knob of the bat tony eusebio would have like three fingers underneath the knob how do you like have, he how do you barely, have back control with that I, I i was i always choked up on the bat because i'm a little league i'm a high school harry uh junior broncos with a pretty good one pool holes back to st louis even though it was only three months. but Second holes, half of the season, whether it was altered or not, had a hell of a finish. I'm not going to say he was on roids because I don't want to get sued, but some people have said I that. Will. Some people have said that about Albert Pools. Or do you have Goldilocks balls? Goldilocks balls. balls very the, the bat. The bat as well. 4106 says LeBron to Cleveland. That was going to be my suggestion. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. the most similar, even though LeBron obviously had so much left in the tank versus what JV is going to have now. 
But, you know, LeBron went and won a championship in Miami, and then he came back and won it in Cleveland. JV's stint was just, you know, four months. BK, he won two in Miami, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. B-Key's last show is today. B-Key, what, B-Key. what is your favorite B-Key moment on ESPN 97? My favorite B-Key moment because he was the favorite member of the White House. We didn't have a chance to do this with Stutes. <laughs> we, 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 look, Jeremy, you could wait till 2.57.30 and we... Would still not. I know, but he never even gave us the opportunity. Well, that's true. <laughs> uh, but what is your favorite Beaky moment? My Beaky moment was the fact that he loves dogs. He let a he dog no ride in his car, and then it's he spent over two weeks trying to get the smell of wet dog out of his car. And no matter what products were, he bought all the products that everybody suggested, including me. He did all the different remedies. And two weeks later, he was still adamant he couldn't get the smell of wet dog out of his car. He would park the car out here with the windows down, with the with the heat. I'm going, what was? Well, I can't get the smell out. I'm like, okay. It was. Uh, it was. Wet. I thought it was up dog. It was wet dog, and he couldn't even car washes and other things. He could not get the smell out of his car. You sure it wasn't up dog? Yeah. You ever heard of up dog? No. Really? Yeah. You've never heard of up dog? No. That stuns me. You've never heard of Updog. Sorry. Do you want to know what Updog is? Sure. Well, ask me. Well, no, I don't have to. You just set it up. <laughs> I couldn't do it. What's up, dog? It's a, it's a thing in the office. Uh, definitely uh, when he asked Corley how many hot dogs he could eat. Oh, yeah. And then he hurt him. And then, uh, and then Corley got traded. Yeah, he jinxed him. He got traded. And then BK leaves. Yeah, <laughs> they're was, both gone. That was a lose-lose, if I've ever heard of one. BK ask him that. Corey Lee gets traded. I mean, traded. the first pitch has to be in there, right? I mean, his, his legend will live on long. with the actual baseball he used over there. Yeah, that's true. What are we going to do with that ball? Is he going to take it? Is no. he going to put it on his... He left it there for a reason. He, he doesn't want it. He doesn't he can want play it. it. He's embarrassed. He should put it in his mantle. Or give it to it. the wet dog. That was in his car. The up dog. Car give it to the up dog. All right, that does it for us. You don't have any? What's that? What was your favorite Beaky memory? Uh, probably stage him. Oh, my favorite, actually, my favorite Beaky moments whenever whenever he gave me six packs of Allstat beer to give him tickets to Kansas U of H. That's my favorite moment. That's cool that he took care of you for taking care of him. I like the Allstat. Be- Beaky's a very, very solid, good. upstanding dude. He is. I'm gonna miss. Gonna I'm gonna miss, miss Beaky. We'll miss you, Beaky. All right, does it for us. Thanks to Joe George for doing all the hard work. He's blank on Branham. Have a great weekend, Houston. We'll talk to you on Monday. The Will House is next on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.